But while I was telling that story, did a part of your brain go, I want to help? Yeah. Yeah. And you know it's a made-up lie. Right. Can I walk into a building, control a security guard, and get him to do what I want within seconds? If I'm out here going, this is what I do and this is how I can attack you, how many scumbags out there have similar skills to me, but they're staying hidden? Johnson, former United States Most Wanted cyber criminal, now good guy, and host of The Brett Johnson Show. Today's episode, Paul Newton, and I cannot wait to get him on the show, but hey, before we get started, a few, we've got just a few things that we have to talk about before we bring Paul on. Number one, the show is changing. That's right, the show is changing. Believe it or not, Brett Johnson has finally taken the step of hiring a production team. Yes, I know most people out there figured that I could not do it myself, and you were absolutely right. So, bringing a team in, the team is absolutely outstanding. We're actually breaking the Brett Johnson show into two different programs. Of course, the Brett Johnson show will continue. It's going to be more of an interview type format where I can talk about or to mostly anybody that I want to. And believe you me, there's a whole boatload of people that I want to talk to. Number one on the list, Paul Newton today. All right. So we're also doing another show called Criminal Thoughts. We'll talk about that after we talk to Paul today. Without further ado, Let's bring on Mr. Paul Newton. He's a cybersecurity expert. He's a magician. He's a comedian. And I got to tell you, I was just talking to Paul before we started to record today. I have seen, I've been to hundreds of different conferences over the past several years. Once I became this legal guy, most of the time, it's a chore to listen to someone talk on stage about cybersecurity. They tend to go by a PowerPoint and just bore you to death. Paul is the exact opposite of that. Paul is one of the best entertainers that I have ever seen. He is absolutely amazing. Without further ado, let's talk to Mr. Paul Newton. Paul! Bud, I don't know what to do after that intro. What the hell? Thank you so much. I'm kind of a fan, man. You know? (laughs) But, but the love is coming back to you on that one. Seriously, there we go. Brett, I'm sat here feeling like I'm with one of my heroes in the work that we're trying to do. So we've got a little bromance going on. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I think my wife is very glad that you live in a different country. That's all ah, I'm saying. There you go. Hey, I wanted to ask. So you sent me over your bio. And you've got, I mean, you've got one heck of a bio. You, you say you're cybersecurity expert, magician, comedian. Where did it start? Tell me who Paul Newton is. Where it started, I was a kid that loved theater. Um, I, I've been an entertainer since I was a child. Before I left school, I was into entertainment. And I used to be a singer, a dancer, an actor. But Brett, I'll be honest with you, mate. When you're going to auditions and you're seeing people that are a lot prettier than you, they're a lot better at dancing than you, and they're a lot better at remembering scripts, you kind of think, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. 
Ah. But my parents, they bought me a Paul Daniels magic kit. Now, some people, you're, you're, you guys might not know that guy. He was a legend in the magic world in the UK. They bought me a Paul Daniels magic set, and I started doing tricks and, and messing with adults' minds and doing, you know, the pick a card, any card, and I know what the card is, the, the sponge balls that disappear, the silly things that would just make grown, intelligent adults go, what the hell just happened from a kid, Okay. And I remember going to this audition, trying to win this job that was worth about £150 a week. Or I could go do magic tricks and earn the same money for an hour. So, you know, young Paul Newton went, that's the route to go. That um, is not a hard equation to figure out. Mate, I, I, I did pubs, I did clubs, I did some of the roughest places you could think of in London. And, and I got known. And don't get me wrong, Brett, I, I kept having a proper job for ages while I was doing that on the side. Um, and I love doing magic on the side. But it was now about 15 years ago that I turned. My, my baby daughter was born. She's awesome. She's now a teenager. She's nuts and awesome and beautiful all at the same time. But I turned around to my, my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I said to her, look, I can't, I can't be away from this kid all the time. I'm working Monday to Friday, 80 hours for the job. Then I'm doing magic at the weekends. I'm going to quit magic. My lovely wife turned around to me and said, you are nuts. You need to quit the job, not the magic. She said, you earn the same money from magic on two days a week. Imagine if you put some focus into it. So yeah, Brett, I haven't had a proper job for like 15 years. I've just I know what you mean. I've not magic. had a proper job in decades either. I, I um, how can I put this, Brett? I understand your history quite well, um, and I think it's a very lucky thing that we did not grow up in the same town. It probably is. I was I was known to corrupt those that were around me, and one of the things I didn't have taken much corrupting, buddy. One day I'll tell you the real background of all the <laughs> okay. things I did. That's the um, deal. <laughs> Let me ask you something, Paul. And this is what's interesting, man. And we're going to talk about. Uh, social engineering as we go on but the the background in magic and i i don't know a thing about magic except you know the las vegas shows that i've seen television shows specials like that i, I don't know a thing about it but am i wrong in guessing that it is it, it's it's about establishing trust with that person that you're doing the magic trick with and maybe distracting them at the same time is is that incorrect or we're am where I right you're at is a, it's a great start okay, okay? Now, um, whenever I walk on stage, I always purposely come out quite unassuming and in a way that I, I want people to, if I walked out without the hat and, and with jeans and a t-shirt, I actually look like quite a scary thug, okay? But I come out with the hat on, the gray suit, the, the black shirt, and, and I say to people, I'm Paul Newton, I'm a magician, and I'm just gonna mess about for a bit. And then we try things and we experiment with things and we have fun with things. And all of a sudden, the audience are going, we want this to work. We like Paul, we want this to work. That then makes them more, right, this is gonna get rotten really quick. It makes them more pliable. Okay. It makes it easier for me to control where they're gonna go and what they're gonna think. I then start using a mixture of psychology, body language, uh, people skills, magic tricks. Um, and I use that to control and force them in directions that I want. Okay. Now, Brett, if you if you then take that into social engineering, okay, you now have an expert 
who can get on stage in front of thousands of people and control all of them right. in one go. And then when I've got, there's a story that I tell about a military base, which actually started the whole mental theft journey. But the realization, Brett, was when I stood there and went, well, I've been doing social engineering since I was a kid, because that's what magic really is. And if I'm doing this to thousands of people every single show I do, then can I walk into a building, control a security guard, and get him to do what I want within seconds? The answer is yes. Now, that's a very, very scary skill, Brett. It is. I mean, it Be absolutely honest. is. How many... Right, think about all of the companies you've worked with when you were on the good side, okay? Think about the companies you've attacked when you weren't on the such a good side, okay? Seriously, Brett, if you had my skills, how many of them could have stopped you? None, none. And and you know, I'll be I, I'll be honest with you. I was I was very successful. I'm a very good social engineer. I, I am. But what you're talking about in that background of magic of of being able to manipulate an entire audience. Let's be honest. That's that's a completely different level altogether. It truly is. And, and I'm the guy that, uh, you know, I'm very interested in crowd dynamics and how you get crowds to do the things that you want them to do. And from what I've seen and, you know, the only thing I've seen of you so far is the uh, when we were both in Stockholm, you were the speaker on the dinnership. And as you said before we came on, you know, we were back in the back in the background there. But you said that that was not the best environment. And I know that I, I have been in an environment as as well like that. And it's very hard to do that job in that environment. But you were absolutely amazing. You commanded the crowd. You had everyone's attention. You were highly entertaining and you got the job done. You sent the message that you needed to send or wanted to send as well. Mate, can I just put that as a statement on my website, please? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Cause, cause, and you're right. Right. So we had uh, to to draw the picture for people. We were on a lovely boat. It was a really nice evening. The tables were too tight to each other. Everyone was bumping into each other's shoulders, and the organisers literally turned around and went, "Paul, go." So I, I just stood up in the middle of the room and had to create a 15, 20 minute show to make people think about security. Um, and, and trying to remember now, I think I got someone to pick a card and I worked out from their body language which card it was. And silly things like, you know, getting people to hide something in their hands and I know which hand they've hidden it in. And then you take it further and you get them to draw something while I'm blindfolded and I tell people what they've drawn. Now, most of that, Brett, leads on to me making people believe in my skills to such a ridiculous point that I then get them to think about their PIN number for their bank account. Right. Now, all of a sudden, if I can steal that, we've gone from being the jolly entertainer to a massive security risk. Right. And that's what I do. So let me ask you, I, I'm, we're going to transition over completely into social engineering, but going into cybersecurity, you alluded to what got you interested in cyber. But could you extrapolate a little bit more on that? Can you go more in depth? Because you were a magi magician. You're, you're, you're highly entertained. You're funny as hell. You had a good career with that, without a yeah. doubt. Yeah. But for some reason, you, you tr start to transition over into cyber. Why is that? You're right. I've had a good career. I haven't had to worry about money for quite a while. 
Um, but I, I, I was always at a level of success that I liked because I could walk down the street and I'm not getting hassled because people know my face. Absolutely love that. So if it's all right with you, can I tell the story of why Please. I got interest? Okay. So I got booked to do a military gig. I won't, I won't say which country it was. I won't say where the base was because I would get in too much trouble. I, it's just not worth it. But I get booked for a military gig to do magic. And I'm walking around and there's about 400 military officers at this party. And Brett, I love that. I love that the military want to book me to entertain their people and help them let their hair down a bit. It, it makes me so proud. It's unbelievable. Okay. Um, but I'm doing this, this circuit. I'm going around. I go up to this one table. There's six people on this table, three guys, three girls. They've got medals on their chests, really amazing people. And I'm doing close up stuff. You know, the, the sponge balls that disappear, the um, let's make some rubber bands go through each other. Let's make something disappear in front of your eyes. Now, one of these guys was, um, I won't swear on your show. We'll call you can him. swear, it's an, okay. Mate, my wife might listen. She'll tell me off. Um, we'll call him an arrogant git, okay? He was just so hot. He was sat there going, magic's not real. This isn't possible. You can't do this stuff. Brett, he even turned around and said that Santa's not real, okay? And that just annoyed me. But So, while I'm doing close-up magic, I started doing some mind reading on him. Now, I stole things off of him to amuse me. The information I stole was his PIN number for his credit card, his username for his computer, his password for his computer, his mother's maiden name, his first pet dog's name, and the name of the road he grew up on, okay? I wrote all of this stuff down on a piece of card, and when I finished at the table, I said, ladies and gents, five of you have been lovely, one of you is a complete and utter git, but can I please hand that person this card, have a look at the back? Brett, he took this card, he looked at the back of it, his face went white, his jaw dropped, and he just swore at me a lot, okay? So now I'm going, look, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't tell your friends what I've written, but could you tell them the type of information and how well I did? And he listed the type of information. And he then said, you got this 100% correct. The table all shocked and applauded. I, I'm still in entertainer mode, so I went, brilliant, lovely to meet you. Well, lovely to meet five of you. The other one's Git. I'm going to go off. I have to do magic for other people. Otherwise, I'm going to get fired and I'll never work for you again. Lovely to meet five of you. And I walked off. Um, Brett, I got about 20 meters away from the table. This guy came up behind me, grabbed me by the shoulder, spun me round and said, I want a word with you. Now, <laughs> Brett, there is nothing that focuses the mind quite like realizing you're in a room with roughly 400 armed military personnel. And one of them is about to kick off a fight with you. Okay. <laughs> so all of a sudden I've gone from, and Brett, you've met me. Right. You know that this body is not easy to spin round on the spot. You're so kind of like a hairless teddy bear. Then, yeah, we'll go with teddy bear, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm now stood there thinking, right, I'm going to be in the middle of a fight. Everyone else is armed. I'm going to die. This is not good. And then he looked at me and he went, is mind reading real? And my brain is now spinning at a thousand miles an hour. I've gone from this guy wants to kill me to... He hates magic and magic's not real. Two, he's the biggest believer ever and he thinks that mind reading's real. Okay? Military officer. 
that level of intelligence. So I said to him, right, I tell you what, I'll ask you three questions. And if you answer honestly to those three questions, you will have your answer about if mind reading is real or not. And he went, go for it. Question one, could I have brought a friend into this base and maybe they're feeding me information through some ear thing? The dude checked my ears to make sure. And he then said, no way. Okay, we've got a gate out there. They check your driving license. They check your passports. They make sure you're who you are. No one else would have got on this base. Brilliant. Perfect. Question two, would anyone at your table have given me that information willingly, you know, to help out the unknown entertainer rather than protect you? And again, he went, no, there's no chance. I trust all of them with my life on a daily basis. They would not have helped you. Perfect. Question number three, then. If you've answered honestly to the first two questions, how can mind reading not be real? Brett, this guy was then swearing at me even more. He went whiter. He just looked scared of me, okay? And then he said something to me, Brett, that scared the life out of me. He looked at me and he goes, you do realize if you did that to three or four select people in this room, you could have access to our missiles. Now, Brett, you know what security is like. If I could pretend to be, and if I could make all of the technology believe that I'm people of authority in an organization, what can I do in their systems before they even realize that I'm there? Right. And that's what went through my head. Now, now this gig was far away from my home, okay? I had to travel a long way to get back home. But all I could think the whole way was, what could I do? What could I get away with? How can I test this? And that started my journey, mate. I, I then started talking about, if a mind reader attacked you, could you stop me? And I started doing talks where I was stealing pin numbers from the audience. And I was stealing usernames and passwords from the audience. Um, and it's, it scares me, mate. If I'm out here going, this is what I do and this is how I can attack you, how many scumbags out there have similar skills to me, but they're staying hidden? I agree. What you're talking about, and you know this, Paul, you've been doing this for a while. Cybersecurity, you know, I do a lot of conferences. I talk to a lot of CISOs. Um, I'm sure you do as well. And one of the things that I'm adamant about is that you do not have to be a coder in order to do proper cybersecurity. You know, you typically look at the human being and how to compromise that. And it looks, you know, it doesn't look, you are a master at doing that. You've, you've illustrated that time and time again. Uh, you know, the stats right now are 80% of the population. They use the same or similar logins and passwords across multiple websites. So if you've got, if you get just that one login and password, yeah, you've got the keys to the kingdom all of a sudden. You're able to get people's not only their passwords, but their pins. I mean, for God's sakes, man, that's that's really, if you're 98% of the criminals that are on the internet, that's really all you want to begin with. Let's be honest about that. So um, I was going to ask you, but I mean, we're touching upon that right now, but what do you think, it's kind of a rhetorical question, what do you think the biggest problem with cybersecurity is? The biggest problem from, right, we have some really intelligent people fighting the good fight and trying to stop these scumbags. The downside is that they don't know how to communicate with the people who need to understand. And so, all right, let's look at a normal organization. Um, 
I'm never going to go and attack the IT department. I'm never going to go and attack the security department. Right. What I am going to do is attack the receptionist or the accounts team or the delivery driver. I'm going to go for the people who have not been trained in what I do. Horribly, Brett, we can set up loads of security to make their job more secure. But if it slows their job down, if it becomes an obstacle for that person doing their job, the individual will find a way to bypass the security. As soon as they start doing that, I've got ways in. And that bothers me. So while we've got teams, and, and that Stockholm event is a perfect example, you and I had some of the most intelligent people around us in security, okay? You have already said it is hard to listen to those people when they speak. Right. So now imagine if you had no interest in security. Would you listen? No. No, you wouldn't. You'd be getting a pillow out and trying to fall asleep because it's so boring, okay? If, however... If, just on the off chance, Brett, maybe you could get an ex-criminal to do a talk about all the stuff he's got away with. That's interesting, right? Right. I'm going to listen to that. Let's say, let's say maybe you can get some dancing monkey who can also do magic tricks and steal your best friend's pin number while they're sat next to you. I'm going to listen to that, right? Now, all of a sudden, we can communicate with them and we can make them emotionally attach to the fear of getting screwed over. Right. Because, mate, I've seen companies get taken down. I've seen people lose their life savings. And the emotional attachment after it's happened is horrendous. If you could just make people think about that possibility being them, they'll take security so much more seriously then if somebody stands up and says, look at this, I've got a new Wi-Fi router that's got a firewall in it and has this many ones and zeros in the programming, I don't care. I just don't care. I honestly think the biggest problem we've got is communication and not teaching the people who really need to know this stuff how to do this stuff. I would, uh, what you're talking about there, you know, I talk about communication a lot. On the bad guy side, and you know, I was the guy that created a lot of that. But on the bad guy side, it's it's the open sharing and exchanging of information. I mean, it truly is. I mean, criminals are very good about being open source, and they understand that by educating everyone across the board, everyone becomes not only educated but more profitable at the end of the day as well. And one of the things that the first question that I ask, I Carice Hendrick from CPN, I'm sorry, CNP. She brings me in to speak a keynote at your conference. It was the first keynote presentation I did. And I met her in Orlando. And the first question I asked was, hey, you know, the bad guys are really good about sharing information with each other. What's wrong with you guys? <laughs> and uh, I was very naive when I asked that question. And the answer became over the years, well, you know, we, you've got privacy concerns, regulations. But the real answer is that you've got a lot of competitive edges that goes on so that a company, when they're getting hit, they don't like to share that with their competitors because the hope is, is that, hey, the attackers, once we get security at a certain level, the attackers will leave us alone and go elsewhere. I mean, that's just one facet of the communication that you're talking about. You're absolutely right, though, in that most employees, when you start talking about security, their eyes kind of glaze over 
and they don't want to hear that. And you're you're more than right about these policies and procedures. If, if a policy and procedure puts some sort of friction in the way of someone doing their job, they will find some way to bypass that. And you and again, you you hit on that. It's at that point that someone like I used to be comes in and takes advantage of that and and gets the access that they want. I mean, you're you're spot on on that. Do you know what? I'm going to add something there if you don't mind. Sure. Um, an emotion that every human being absolutely detests and hates is fear. Right. Okay. Now, if I can put you in a fearful mindset, that means I can put you under pressure and I can normally win a conversation or an argument. Now, again, just think about any of your clients that you've helped with security. How many of their staff members are scared of admitting they might have clicked a phishing link? Right? That's easy fear. Okay? Now, we need to, as organizations and as speakers, and I'm looking at you for this, mate, because I'm doing this as much as I can. We need to try and stop that fear in employees. Now, it doesn't just stop there. Because when you ask that person that question, and they said, we've got to worry about this, we've got to worry about this advantage, and we've got to worry about this edge, they're also fearful of admitting they might have done something wrong. And because of fear, we don't share information. I mean, we you're right. We don't communicate I mean, about when it goes wrong. And, and just to feed into that, you know, I, I talk to a lot of victims, and uh, typically a victim one of the first lessons that that I learned as a criminal is that victims do not report their crimes. They don't because of fear, fear of embarrassment, fear of being judged. And let's be honest again, it's it's from family members, it's from the media, it's from those 8500 plus security companies that are out there. They even have these these taglines that they throw out like why would you click on that link? Why would you send money to someone you wouldn't even know? Who would ever believe gift cards? So you've got these these built-in phrases as well, and you're you're absolutely right. The fear of of embarrassment, of being judged, of uh, looked down upon, that absolutely is one of the major problems with cybersecurity right now. Absolutely, it is. You look at romance fraud, and and I know your listeners. I hope your listeners know what romance fraud is. Oh, they do. (laughs) Would anyone want to admit that they fell in love with someone online? so much that they gave them $50,000. Right. You, you did. So how many of those do you reckon do go on without being reported? Well, I, I'll tell I you what, Paul. I, um, you, you were talking about romance. And I, I want to ask you something here in just a second. But uh, I, I've been very fortunate in my, my newfound career. I, I get to talk to a lot of victims. And one of the victims that I talked to was a lady She's now the head of SCARS, but it's a, it's a against romance scams a organization for that. But um, she lost $1.1 million to a romance fraudster. She gets to the point that she goes through all of her money, borrows $200,000 from her father to send to this fraudster as well. Not only that, but once, once he milks her of every single penny that she's got, he comes out and tells her that he scammed her and then proceeds to say, you know, yes, I scammed you. I'm so sorry about that. But, you know, I really think that you and I developed a real relationship during all of this. And I would like to continue talking to you if you don't mind. It's only at that point that she broke it off with him. only at that point. So that's at the high end. At the low end, 
I, I, I talked to another victim, a woman's son. And the son, his mom, just on Social Security, was, was the only income she had coming in. So, you know, $1,200, $1,400 a month was it. She loses her house to a romance fraudster. She, she mortgages the house, loses the house to him. The, it gets so bad that the son takes over power of attorney. So he, he's in charge of all of her money. Before she loses the house, she's having some repairs done. She tells the son, hey, the repairs are done. I need to pay these construction guys. He sends her $30,000. Guess where that goes? To the romance fraudster. I mean, this this is common. It's very common. I'm glad you mentioned romance fraud. I really am. This uh, This idea of how fraudsters build trust. It's it's really interesting, you know, because of romance fraud, especially it's a, it's a long term fraud and it comes in with layering trust over a, a set amount of time until you finally get that victim that really believes they've got a relationship there. But it's it's even worse than that, because the people that I've talked to and maybe you can feed into this too, the people that I've talked to as that scam is going on. They think to themselves, it's probably a fraud. The person that I'm talking to is a fraudster, but they continue on in that relationship. And then something happens. Usually what happens is, is a denial of money. The fraudster will come up and, and come up with some reason that he needs cash. You know, my son's having an operation, some emergency pops up. The victim will offer the money, but the fraudster will deny that initial offer. And that's, that tends at that point to solidify yeah. trust on the victim's side. So if you could, do you have any insight into that at all? Mate, and, and you're right, okay? And what they will use is an emotional story. So your example there of my son needs an operation is a great one. Um, I've heard of people who are living on oil rigs and they needed money to get off of the oil rig to get home. I've heard of, my favorite one for so many reasons was one guy was a spy and he'd been denounced by his country, so needed to get cash to get out of that country. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's a fun story. Let's be honest. It's it's an amazing story, right. but um, that guy walked away with £75,000. Oh, wow. From that story. I'm not being fun. I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't know how much money you earn, Brent, and it's got nothing to do with me, okay? Right. But if I could earn seventy-five grand off of a few different people over a year, what, what more do you need? Right. I mean, that's that's an amazing earning, isn't it? Right. So they they want to hoodwink you. They want to get you involved. They want to meet you. They want you to think that you're so important to them. You're the most important thing. And the lovely bit that you said there was the denial of the money. Okay. I've got this problem and my car's broken down and I can't get to there because of this. And that would have been great because if I could have got to there, I could get a new job. And if I can get a new job, I can start saving and then I can, I can afford the plane ticket to come and see you. Now, what I've done there is I've given you a very BS story very quickly that already has stages set up, okay? Right. Stage number one is about 500 pounds to 1,000 pounds will fix my car, and that can help me get my new job. But you're also already thinking that I want to buy a plane ticket to come and see you. I haven't even mentioned that I'm, I'm going to pay for that yet, but I want to save up to buy the plane ticket to come and see you, Brett, because I think we're meant to be together. <laughs> okay and then it's a case of well if you're only talking 500 pounds to fix your car to make all of our dreams come true i can do that no no honey i'm not taking that from you because that's not how we right. start this relationship it's it's like the kid with a lollipop 
Right, you could have this. If you were really good, you could have this, but you can't have it right now. Okay, you're not allowed it right now, but you could have this. You could have me. You could have this perfect relationship. You can't have it right now because my car's not working. Right. But you could have me. This could be perfect. It's exactly the same mentality. It's exactly the same psychology. It's the show a potential hope and then take it away a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, Brett, I mean, I know you've met me and I know we got on fine and you call me a big teddy bear, but all of a sudden, are you are you wanting to help me by paying five hundred pounds to get my car fixed? And well, it's the thing, right? I mean, we're as as growing up in society, like we do, we're taught to help people. So you've got a problem like that, and I've already developed feelings for whoever that individual is on the other end of the line. They've got a problem, so of course, you know, proper society being courteous. Well, is there anything that I can do to help? Yeah. And do you know yeah. what? I would love it, Brett, if you think to yourself later, okay, just the, the quick BS story that I just told you. And I purposely dropped your name into it when I was talking about us and me coming to see you. And seriously, you know there's no relationship between me and you that would make you pay for a plane ticket. But while I was telling that story, did a part of your brain go, I want to help? Yeah. Yeah. And you know it's a made-up lie. Right. But you're a nice, emotional human being. Of course you want to help me. So what's the answer, Paul? I mean, do we do we just try to become more crass individuals over time? Do we just immediately come out and be paranoid of everything that goes on? It's tough, mate. Okay? Because I don't want everyone to see the world the, the way I see it. Right. And that is almost every corner I turn, I see a scam that could be run. I see someone that could be a could be a thief. I see someone that could be stealing. I could see someone that could be a victim. And to be honest with you, Brett, I don't want my daughter to look at the world that way. Right. However, I do want her to be wary. There is absolutely no problem, Brett, in any situation at any time to stop and just take a breath. Okay? If I'm telling you a story and it's making you emotional, just, just stop. Take a breath. Take a step back. And then maybe say to yourself, what would Brett say? What would Paul say? What would they think? Because as soon as you start taking the emotion out of it, what would the logical brain do in this situation? Right. We've got wars going on around the world at the moment. And you and I both know that as soon as a war kicks off somewhere, hackers kick off even more. Right. We've seen that from both sides. Yeah. I mean, I'm we sorry, we've, got, being we've attacked. got two wars right now from all four sides we've seen. Them. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is they know that if they allow their hackers to attack us and our people, it demoralizes us and it affects our economy. It's exactly what they want. Okay. So realistically, Brett, how about we try and get people to listen to the weird magician in the hat that tells stories? The guy who used to be a criminal that now shouts and jumps and makes you want to think about the things that we get away with i do shout and jump you know that <laughs> mate it's one of the reasons i like you <laughs> my question I've, I've had this question for a while paul and it, it's an honest question is um how do you get the people whether it be individuals heads of companies entire companies how do you get people to listen to 
what needs to be done because I'm looking, you know, I've got these stats that I threw out. I probably talked about them in Stockholm. You know, 92% of every breach begins with a phishing attack. That's your social engineering right now. But 90% plus of every single attack uses known exploits. It's not zero days. It's stuff that they know that they should be doing, but they haven't. That hackers, criminals, whatever you want to call them, are are coming in and taking advantage of. How do you get a company or an individual to simply practice good hygiene online? You've actually hit on a couple of things there. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the one that you've blatantly asked the question on. Okay. Um, how do we get them all to listen? We've got to make it emotional. I will not buy a car unless my emotions make me want to buy that car. Okay? I will not buy a house unless my emotions say my family will want to live here and will be loved in this house. Until cybersecurity becomes emotional, no one gives a toss. That's interesting because, you know, from the criminal side, and you you said that as well, and I know that as well. I mean, I'm trying to get people to act out of emotion. You know, mm-hmm. if, I, if they're acting logically or reasonably, they're not going to give me that information, access, data, or cash. But if I can get them to put that aside and act emotionally, I can get whatever I want to out of them. So yeah. applying that same rule on the good guy side makes a lot of sense. The horrible thing here, Brett, is while we're on the good guy's side, we can't be too nasty to the people we're trying to help. Right. So I can't make them cry. I can't make them too fearful. If I wanted... Honestly, Brett, I would love to attack every single person in the UK, the US, and show them what it feels like to lose their life savings and think they're not going to pay their mortgage or their bills this month and they don't see how they're going to do that for the next year because I've just stolen everything. Because if I could show people what that feels like, they would suddenly use the best password managers out there. All of them would suddenly be using two-factor and multi-factor authentication. All of them would be coming up with ways to secure themselves that you and I haven't even thought of yet. Right. But until that point, until they're talking about their Aunt Jean who just had 75 grand stolen by some guy who said he was a spy and needed to get out of the country, it's not real. It's not emotional, and we don't care. I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. I don't know how it ends, Paul. I don't. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, been... mate. I, I do get on my high horse about no, this. No, I mean, you're it, right. It, and if you've paid any attention to, to me at all in the past, I don't know, six, eight months, probably longer than that, you know that I've had a, a lot of apathy on that very subject. You know, I preach it constantly, and uh, I see a lot of companies that like to throw a lot of money at tools and products that really yep. doesn't solve the uh, the inherent problem of cybersecurity, which is exactly what we're touching upon, those people. And yeah. just doing what you need to do. It's You don't have to. I mean, you need to, maybe you need to spend some money on cyber, but it's not very expensive to do what you need to do to secure yourself. It's not. No. And um, it's just it's just one of those things, man. I've had a, a lot, I mean, a lot of apathy on that, dude. I, I, I'm 53. I'm planning on stopping when I'm 60. <laughs> and then hopefully never look at another computer again for a while. It's weird with me, man. I see what I see how successful cybercrime is. The attackers, and they are. I mean, they yeah. are. And I look at the good guy side, and and it shouldn't be that way. 
it should be that they're they're working together with each other. They're, it should be that if you're looking at cybercrime, you should model what you're doing on what they're doing because they're doing everything right. They truly are. They're succeeding every single day. Meanwhile, companies are not talking to each other. They're not uh, practicing good hygiene. They're not teaching their employees what needs to be done. They're not getting that emotional reaction that you're yeah. talking about. They're not doing that. Bad guys every single day, every day. Yep. And it gets worse, buddy. It gets worse because if I'm working in an organization and I know that I've just created a breach of some sort, right? I, first of all, I have fear. Do I admit this in the first place? Now, if I spend too long thinking about it, the hackers are going to win even more. Secondly, once I do admit it and try and help the company, I might get disciplined or fired. Why the hell would I do that? So until we change this attitude and change it to the one that you're talking about, which is share the information. As soon as something happens, share it, tell everyone about it, shout about it. Because there's more chance that the IT guys and the security guys that are brilliant at this can jump into your situation and go, we're here, we've got you. Okay, we know there's been a mistake, but we're gonna patch it and we're gonna stop this and we're gonna stop that flood of utter crap coming down on you. But no. What happens most of the time is people are scared they're going to lose their job because they clicked the wrong link. That's it. That's it. Paul, I know you've got a book. Mental theft? Mental theft, your mind is the weakest link. Um, mate, it's... Do you know what, Brett? That book absolutely saved my backside. When, when COVID hit and everything fell apart and I went from... I went from having a life where I would go out and speak and I would go and do shows... And then March 2020, we were told that I wasn't allowed in a room with more than 30 people. Same here. Then a few weeks later, we're not allowed in a room for anyone that's not your close family. Right. Um, thankfully, my business partner, also the co-author of the book, Jesse, um, he kicked my backside. I, I think, Brett, between you and I, I think I went into depression for a few months because I didn't know what to do. Um, and then a few months into it, Weirdly, I started building a table for my garden. Okay, that's when Jesse called me and he said, are you ready? And I was like, what, what do you mean are you ready? And he said, people still need your help, mate. And he said, it's getting worse and there's a lot more attacks. And because everyone's at home and everyone's working from home, they're getting attacked even more. Right. They need your help. And I remember saying, I can't deliver. I've got no way to deliver. I'm an in-person speaker. I can't. And he said, let's write a book. Let's write the book you've been talking about for a couple of years now. Let's write it. I was like, dude, nobody knows me, okay? Nobody's going to buy a book from a magician about security. That's stupid. And he's like, that's a problem for a different day. Let's just write it. We got it to about 90% done. I then started getting upset because I didn't have money to launch the book. I mean, I, I was on my knees, dude. I, I was literally couldn't pay the mortgage. Right. And again, Jesse said, let's do a crowdfunder. Um, again, I argued that's just stupid. Nobody will follow that. And his belief in what we do was bigger than mine. And he said, look, let's try it. Let's go all out. Let's push it like we believe it's going to work, which I didn't, by the way. Every time I did a live video about it, I said, if you, if you put money into this, I think you're nuts. I, I don't think this book will work. I don't think it will be a success because it's a magician talking about cybersecurity. Right. Nobody will want to buy it. Brett, we needed... £2,000 to scrape through and launch the book. I wanted £4,000 to do it in a way that I'd be proud of it. 
Mate, the crowdfunder ended up on about £7,000. I've never been so happy to be wrong in my life. Right. And the book launched, uh, it went out to all the crowdfunder people first. And I'll be honest, I couldn't afford an editor. So we edited it ourselves. The first edition went to those people only. And they came back to us with any grammar errors and any punctuation problems. And and we re-edited it from them. Then the book went on full sale on Amazon and other bookshops uh, December 2020. Okay. And weirdly, mate, it hit bestseller lists all over the place. <laughs> um, that book saved my house. Good, good. Um, and then because of that, once the world started opening up again, as you know, I now get asked to fly places to do magic tricks and scare people into worrying about security. Right. Um, and mate, it's it's working. We're making a difference. Well, Paul, I got to tell you, and and I've not read the book. I I, I saw you speak, and uh, anyone who is interested in a an extremely captivating, entertaining, educational, enlightening speaker. Of course, I'm here, but Paul Newton is absolutely extraordinary, and I don't say that lightly. I really, truly don't. I. Uh, when I came back from Stockholm, that was the number one thing on my mind. I was telling my wife, uh, my, my boys, I was like, this guy was absolutely amazing. And I've spoken highly of you since that point. I, I think that you're, I mean, truly, it, it, the presentation that I saw was one of the better ones that I've ever seen. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I, I was just thankful to be in the same room as you were at that point. You were commanding you, uh, the presence, the, uh, the, the content. Everything else was was off the wall. It was outstanding. But um, but seriously, you're talking to a kid who wanted to be an entertainer all of his life. You have right. no idea how much that means to me. Um, right, do me a favor, okay? Yes, sir. Send me your address. I, I will I send you a copy will. of the book. I'll get I'll get Jesse to sign it because he's the important <laughs> one. Okay, we'll get him to sign it. I'll send it over to you. I, I would love to have your feedback on it. No, I, I absolutely will. The book is Mental Theft. Paul Newton. It's available on Amazon. Where else is it available? Um, from my website. If you don't mind me saying mentaltheft.com, then, then people can get it direct from me I don't well. mind at all. As a matter of fact, I was going to ask how people could contact you and conferences could contact you. Uh, but, right, so this, uh, look at that. You guys have got the magician site. Right, so there's Paul, uh, Paul-Newton. Uh, that's the magician site. And there's mentaltheft.co.uk or .com. And you can find all of the places I'm speaking. People, it's funny, Brett. I get hired now by a lot of corporates to go and talk to their staff. Right. Um, and, yeah, we're making waves. Now, I'll be blatantly honest. If I'm doing a corporate gig, I'd try and charge them a lot of money. Well, they've because- got it. Yeah. It then means that we can pick charities and people that need our help and we can go and help them. Um, I am the same way, Paul. If it's a if it's a corporation, I have an obscene fee that I quote them. <laughs> and that it's just enough, it has been enough in the past that it causes a pause and it's like <gasps> So yeah. Brett, if you ever want to be my agent and you can look after all of the US stuff, that also means I can come out and teach you a magic trick or two. Well, you know, I'm, I, I would almost take you up on that. I would like to learn some magic. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the Brett Johnson Show. You, my friend, I, I absolutely love everything you do, truly. Brett, mate, 
honestly, it's been an honour, a privilege. You have no idea how grateful I am to be asked to be here. Thank you, Paul. Truly. All right. That being said, let's start to close things out. I am Brett Johnson. This is the Brett Johnson Show. Hey, this is the last time that you are going to see Fish Guy on the wall. That's right. We're getting rid of him. Let's be honest. Before, when you've looked at my show, you've probably not known or understood a lot of what it's about. And the reason is, is because a lot of the time I've not either. So what we've done is we've split the show into two. We're continuing on with the Brett Johnson show, basically an interview type format where Brett gets to talk to the type of people that Brett wants to talk to, like Paul Newton today. The crime stuff. All cybercrime, fraud, anything to do with fraud, with crime at all, we have split into its own show called Criminal Thoughts. The first episode of that actually aired yesterday. You can find that on YouTube. You can also follow at Criminal Thoughts Podcast. So please do so. I think it's an outstanding show. It's uh, it's actually the first show is already off the chain. It's It's already swamped. Any type of viewer count that I've ever had on any episode ever, uh, at least for my show. So please tune into that. Continue to tune into the Brett Johnson show. If you've got any type of feedback, let me know. I listen to the feedback. I read it. I respond to it. And if I like it, I'll even do whatever you want me to do. All right. So that being said, let's close things out. How do we do that? We do it the same way every single time. Stay safe. Stay secure. Stay vigilant. More importantly, understand that this is the Brett Johnson Show. At the end of the day, just do the right damn thing. I'm Brett Johnson. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.